Hi, folks, and thanks for tuning in once again to the Paradox Podcast. Somebody mentioned to me that I should take a minute and properly introduce you to the Paradox. The higher IQ half of the Paradox, Julie Kerwin, is a psychiatrist who is a little more shy about public speaking and tends to take care of things behind the scenes as opposed to being the, uh, the kind of the front man as I am. Julie has a background in philosophy and political science, but also a degree in kinesiology and, of course, has done med school and her psychiatry residency. She's also an author who has published in various anthologies, but also has a book of short stories which won the Maritime Book Award several years ago. It's called The Appendage, formerly known as Your Left Arm, and it is available on Amazon. I'm biased, of course, but I think it's actually a great read, and it uh, it touches on several very important issues of our time, including transgenderism. Julie was also a very accomplished triathlete who was on the national long-distance triathlon team at one point and actually placed very high up in her age division at the Hawaii Ironman. She competed in hundreds of triathlons and was quite um, prominent in Canadian triathlon at one point. My name is Chris Milburn, and I'm the other half of the paradox. I have an undergrad in physics, a master's in medical physics, and then I went to med school and ended up doing family med with an extra year of emergency room training. So I've worked um, mainly in emergency rooms over the years, but I've always kept a, a foot in family medicine. And as well, I do some uh, rehab medicine, including working with kind of chronic injuries and chronic pain. Like Julie, I also have a great interest in philosophy, history, political science, and sociology. So we uh, read voraciously on these subjects over many years and collaborate and talk about them. Because of my outspokenness, I've gotten myself into trouble over the last few years in the new paradigm where you're not supposed to say anything that colors outside of the lines. Thankfully, I've been helped by the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, jccf.ca, and have managed to keep my medical license uh, despite having uh, run afoul of the censors on um, COVID and other issues. So at this point, both Julie and I remain practicing doctors as well as having our sideline of running uh, freespeechinmedicine.com. Free Speech in Medicine is an initiative not only to provide a space to talk about all the subjects that we're not supposed to talk about, but also to talk about why we're not allowed to talk about those subjects, to go a little deeper. We don't just want to argue about the details of the science, but talk about why science is so contentious these days. Last year, we did our first conference, and we had a great bevy of speakers, including our keynote, Jay Bhattacharya, who many of you will uh, know well. Our conference this year promises to be just as good as last year. You can see a full list of speakers on our website. But just to give you a little taste, we have Dr. Gad Saad, who's a well-known, let's say, contrarian who speaks his mind. We have Aaron Cariotti from the Brownstone Institute. We have philosopher and neuroscientist Ian McGilchrist, who will be our only speaker who won't be there in person, uh, but he has a good excuse because he lives on the Isle of Skye. 
And we have other experts in the area of the legalities of free speech and medical colleges, um, drug policy and harm reduction, and other interesting subjects, including, I almost forgot to mention, transgenderism. We have several speakers on that issue, including Dr. Ken Zucker, who is perhaps the foremost expert in the world on transgenderism. And we certainly think that's a subject that needs a real airing. So we're glad to have it focused on as part of our conference this year. Not only are the speakers great, but if the conference is anything like last year, the attendees are amazing as well. It was just an amazing, positive time with a bunch of open-minded and wonderful people. We hope you consider joining. It's October 27th to 29th in Bedeck, Nova Scotia, which is beautiful in the heart of Cape Breton on the Bredore Lakes. And registration is available online now at freespeechandmedicine.com. Today's podcast is the first of our speaker series, which gives you a little taste of the speakers who are going to be at Free Speech and Medicine this year. First up is Rupa Subramania. Many of you will know Rupa's name. She is what I would call an accidental journalist. She fell into it, as you'll hear. And she rose to prominence for many of us by fairly covering and giving us a real window into the trucker rally, which happened in Ottawa. Rupa is a writer for the Free Press. She's the host of the Rupa Subramania Show on True North, and she's a columnist for the National Post. She's written for such publications as the Wall Street Journal and Foreign Affairs, as well as the Financial Times and New York Times. Rupa currently lives in Ottawa, Canada. We're very happy that Rupa has agreed to come to our conference and speak this year, and I'm very happy that she agreed to spend the time with me to do this podcast. The 23rd of July of uh, 2023, and I'm uh, very happy and honored to be speaking with Rupa Subramania, who many of you will know already. Um, so thanks very much, Rupa, for spending the time with me on this, well, foggy evening here. I don't know what it's like there. Um, thanks for having me, uh, Chris. And um, it's um, it's, a, it's a beautiful day, actually. Um, a little muggy, but it, it's been quite nice here. It's been a good summer so far. Lovely. Um, well, we'll get right into it. Uh, first thing I want to get you to do, there, there may be some people who don't know you, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, your, your, you know, your, just a thumbnail sketch, your background, and how you got into journalism. Yeah. Uh, so uh, briefly, I, um, um, you know, I'm originally from India, um, I, but I um, came to Canada when I was uh, 18 years old, and I went to school actually in Nova Scotia. I went to Acadia University. Um, those were um, so my my initial my 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 first um, contact with Canada was actually the Maritimes. I lived there for four years, and then and then moved to Ontario, where I pursued uh, two graduate degrees, one in economics and the other in international affairs. Um, I was thinking of doing a PhD, but, um, you know, decided that ultimately I didn't want to get too specialized. Um, journalism was not something that was even on my radar. Um, I've always been very opinionated and I've had, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, my views and opinions. Um, and, uh, and I enjoyed writing, uh, especially in, in grad school. Uh, but I always thought, 
that I would wind up perhaps at a think tank or a research center um, and, you know, and, and work on things that interested me. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I did a bit of that. I, I actually um, am a bit of a researcher as well. When I lived overseas in India uh, for nearly a decade, I, you know, I worked on some reports, uh, but I always did uh, opinion writing. Um, you know, I've been doing that for like 10, um, more than a decade. I, I got my start writing for the Wall Street Journal when I was in India. Um, and I did that for like three years and then um, then just freelanced a bit, uh, uh, wrote for foreign policy and, uh, you know, a bunch of other publications. And uh, but my goal always was to get away from journalism. Uh, you know, I was always an opinion columnist. I never actually did any reporting um, until very recently. Um, and so you know, I had this real desire to return to Canada when I was uh, a few years ago, and I finally, um, um, you know, made the deci decision to come return to Canada once and for all, and that was back in 2019, just before the pandemic, and uh, a few months before the pandemic, in fact, and um, and you know, I I again, uh, not at all looking at journalism as as something I wanted to do uh, or continue. I, I you know, I didn't want to really get into it. I actually wanted to get away from it. Um, but uh, you know, I think there's something. You know, definitely the universe has had very different uh, plans for me. Um, uh, you know, I started writing. Um, again, opinion columns for the National Post. Um, I, I began doing that in uh, December of 2020, December of 2020, and um, and it was you know it was fine. I, I enjoyed doing what I was doing, and then uh, my life changed really when the truckers' protest happened in February, uh, January of 2022, mm -hmm. and. Um, I found myself um, in the situation where, you know, it was just happening literally right outside my building here in downtown Ottawa. And, um, you know, I had no, um, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know um, if I was even going to write about it. I just, just very curious about the protests and I walked around and I was very curious about it and I spoke to people and I started tweeting about it. I still didn't think that I would do any kind of reporting at all because I was, you know, my training was not in journalism. Uh, you know, op opinion writing is very different from actual reporting. Um, and uh, and so, you know, I, I I didn't really have any kind of experience in that and with, with, with reporting. Uh, but my tweets uh, were getting a lot of attention because, you know, I, I suppose part of it had to do with the fact that I here I was a person of color, a woman walking around speaking to the protesters, the truckers. I didn't feel unsafe. I didn't you know, I didn't think they were here to cause any harm. They, they were just, you know, making their um, presence felt and they wanted to be heard uh, and uh, no one was listening to them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would I would post these tweets and you know, it got a lot of attention world over. And uh, and one day, um, Barry Wise of the Free Press, uh, that time it was called Common Sense, reached out to me and said, Rupa, I've been uh, looking at your tweets and you seem to have a very different perspective from what everyone else is. All of the legacy media people have been saying it's it's a very different perspective. What exactly is going on in Ottawa? 
And I told her, I think these people have been, you know, really not been understood well at this, like this, uh, an attempt to create a certain kind of narrative here that they're extremists, that they're um, and, um, white supremacists, anti, anti-vaxxers, um, anti-science, and so on. I mean, every, every, um, um, abusive term that you could think of was, was, was being used to describe the protesters. Mm-hmm. But, but I knew, I knew right off the bat, you know, I spent an entire day there and, you know, and a weekend and just going, walking through and I didn't see anything problematic. They just wanted to be heard. And um, so, you know, I explained to her, I think they've been misunderstood. And there's this attempt to create this kind of environment where, you know, I think to paint them as, uh, you know, pale. And uh, and she said, well, why don't you write for us? Why don't you write write what's happening in Ottawa? And that was really, I think, the second time I've ever reported in my life. The first one was a, a story I did against um, I did on uh, did about um, violence against women in India for the Wall Street Journal and but I co-wrote that with two other people, so this was something that I did entirely on my own and um, um, I had no idea you know that it would resonate as much as it did uh, when I wrote the story and um, um, you know there was this real yearning for people to know what was happening in Ottawa uh, and 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 the protesters wanted their story out as well uh, they just wanted to be given a chance to be heard to be uh, to be uh, judged fairly and um, and and so uh, you know the, that, that was my you know, that I reported and I wrote the story and then everything just changed uh, for me. My life changed. I became uh, better known in Canada. Known. People were reading my columns in the National Post for almost a year and a half, but they hadn't quite put two and two together that mm-hmm. I was the same person. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and before I knew it, like, um, you know, I, I was, I was podcasting and then, um, and then the, um, common sense became free press and, um, and, uh, I was, um, hired full time by the free press to write, uh, for them. And since then I've written about the vaccine, um, mandates, uh, for travel, uh, which, um, you know, I, uh, I, I wrote about, uh, about that actually almost a year ago, to this day, and um, I uh, that that there was no scientific basis for these uh, mm-hmm. mandates, and um, and this is this is information that came out during um, um, uh, cross examination uh, of a of a court case, um, and uh, unfortunately the litigants lost, but um, the uh, but but you know the cross examination was fascinating be- because of what it revealed about the uh, the 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 mandates and how how. Uh, they came about, um, and you know, was there any scientific rationale for the mandates? Um, and it, it doesn't appear to be the case. I think it was pure politics, really, a way for uh, Justin Trudeau to, uh, you know, use this as a wedge issue to win the next election. Mm-hmm. That's really what it amounted to. Um, and uh, yeah, and then since then, I've been um, writing, um, you know, uh, full time for the free press. I also host a podcast for True North, uh, 
mm-hmm. weekly podcast and um, I write occasionally for the National Post. So I have a very, very busy um, 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 time um, uh, in, you know, being a journalist now. I actually have to say that I'm a journalist because that's what I am, despite my best efforts to get away from journalism. <laughs> You weren't you were not successful in those efforts. Yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things, you know. You, I, I tried so hard. Like I, you know, believe it or not, when I returned from India, all I wanted to do was be a civil servant. I just wanted the predictability, and you know, I just wanted to have a predictable life and just, uh, you know, um, you know, have a stable job, a pension, and and you know, and I freelance for like ten years, and it was very, very. Um, you know, you you never know, you know, things could just end for you right then and there. And, you know, you, you don't and you won't have anything. And I was just tired of living that kind of life and wanted something completely different. And uh, but that was not meant to be. Yeah. So. Well, so so here you are. And, and so since, you know, this since your work on COVID, you've done some other interesting things you did. Uh, I'm just trying to think of some of them off the top of my head, but I know you did. Um, fairly important article, I thought, on medical assistance in dying. Yes. Um, you want to just mention briefly about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was, again, for the free press. And um, um, yeah, I mean, there there, there have been all of these stories uh, one would read in, 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 the, me- in the media about um, people uh, uh, looking at MAID as an option because they couldn't pay their bills. Um, they just didn't have enough money to meet their uh, expenses. Um, and then this discussion, whether MAID should be extended to um, 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 uh, f- for those facing mental illness, uh, and then and, and extending that even further to mature minors. Um, and, you know, I, I just uh, found that fascinating, very disturbing at one level, but you know, I really wanted to know what you know what what's going on here, um, and uh, and one of the um, so uh, one of the people that I spoke to for the story was this twenty uh, three year old um, uh, partially blind uh, uh, person guy in Toronto. He um, um, uh, has type one diabetes and wasn't very good at. Um, keeping up with this insulin shots and, you know, and looking after himself and lost vision in one of his eyes. And uh, he had been, you know, he was just very tired of living the way he was, you know, he he didn't like his life the way it was. And uh, he'd been trying to apply for MAID, but he wasn't eligible um, uh, for a while. And then uh, suddenly he became eligible for, uh, uh, for MAID because it was now being extended to um, I think it was track to made if I'm if I'm not mistaken, and um, and then um, he was approved uh, and he was um, uh, approved by a uh, by a doctor uh, in Toronto actually a very well known doctor um, um, in Toronto and um, he um, um, what was really disturbing about the whole thing is just how quickly he was approved uh, for medical assistance in dying. And and just how this unfolded, you know, the, the, this is happening over text messages, you know. Does Saturday work for you? Um, you know, um, <laughs> I you know I I do this mostly on the weekends, uh, and um, and and it it was just, you know, this is someone who's about to die, and you know, it's like it's just being mm-hmm. treated like 
like like it would be just anything like you know mm -hmm. you're uh you're just gonna go i don't know get something you're uh, go for a dental appointment or something i mean it was it was it was that bizarre mm -hmm. um and um anyway this guy's mother finds out that this is happening because he needs his sister's help to ch to check his emails and his sister logs into his inbox and finds that he's been approved for medical assistance and dying and then she shares this information with uh, her mother and the mother um takes to social media um and uh, and 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 says you know um that this doctor is about to kill my son he's scheduled to die september 10th or something some, something like that um, I have 10 days to prevent this from happening. And because of her activism on social media, uh, the doctor withdrew from the case. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so this guy ended up living and, um, um, and, 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 you know, he was, um, uh, and the mother actually, what she did was she pretended to be someone with type one, someone suffering from type one diabetes with vision loss she calls the doctor up before she took to social media and she pretends that she wants to she 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 wants to get medical assistance in dying and she records this conversation uh and and shared this audio with me uh, and uh it's a 3 minute conversation uh or or it was a half an hour conversation but the relevant bit was about 3 min 3 minutes and he's basically like, yeah, you know, I, I do this all the time. You know, let's make an appointment. Uh, she said, I want to die by Christmas. He said that I think that could that could uh, that could be arranged. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we could look into that. Uh, you know, it, it just seems so normal. Like everything's been normalized, and it's just like yeah, one other thing that you do. And yeah. the the flippancy of it is very yeah very disturbing. Um, yeah, we. I could talk to you about that one subject all day and it, it's going to be the focus. Uh, one of the focuses of our 2024 conference, we've decided already the May yeah. issue. Um, yeah. uh, I'm going to move uh, along a bit to um, the first question I'd ask you, I ask many of the people I'm on with who are speakers at free speech or medicine. Is how did you manage to avoid hive mind? Because there is a certain, um, it's a uniformity in media in Canada. Um, you know, there was a, sort of one acceptable view of people who didn't get vaccinated, the trucker rally, et cetera. It was on all mainstream media. Um, obviously, you're, you're a bit of an, I call you an accidental journalist. So you didn't get the, the journalism, let's call it training. It might be indoctrination. I don't know. So that's part of it, I'm sure. But how, how did you end up thinking differently than than most other journalists uh well i've always been kind of an oddball really an outlier uh, my whole life um i think some part of it has to do with my experiences you know i lived in india till i was uh, nine eight nine years old uh, under socialism uh, of the worst kind then i lived in the, uh, the middle east uh um, where you know i i experienced authoritarianism of a different kind um, and then I came to Canada and I was, uh, you know, it was a very refreshing experience. I was here some very formative years of my life intellectually. 
And I, I finally, you know, felt that, um, you know, I've always been very inquisitive, even as a kid growing up in these situations um, and always getting into trouble for asking questions. And uh, I was just very, very curious. Um, and I found that I could finally breathe when I got to Canada and, you know, and I, it really, uh, helped, um, uh, foster my intellectual development being here. Uh, and, uh, and there was no turning back. Um, but, you know, having said that, I do succumb to hive mind as well. I think we're all prone to certain kind of biases, um, you know, uh, and, and, and I, it, and it did, it, you know, I wasn't completely immune from that during the pandemic. I myself supported vaccine mandates, um, uh, and I've been very open about that. I've talked about it. I've written about it. Um, it's not something that I'm especially proud of, but, you know, um, and there are no excuses for it, but it happened uh, under a situation where, you know, I was going through some very, very, um, you know, a rough patch in my life. You know, my my parents live overseas and they almost died from um, died from, um, uh, you know, during the Delta uh, variant. Um, uh, and, um, you know, and so for me, you know, I was just not in a good place. And I really felt that, you know, maybe if only my parents had been vaccinated, you know, I wouldn't have to deal with that all the way from here. It was a it was a traumatic experience for me, but uh, it it you know it lasted for a couple of months. That my thinking, and then I was, then I was, uh, and then I asked myself, what exactly am I thinking here? This is not me, you know. Um, this is not the kind of thing that I would, uh, you know, would ever, ever, you know, would ever support, uh, you know, at any point in my life. So why am I doing this now? So and then that's when I just quickly, you know. I, I I just changed my mind and I and I started writing about it and um, and um, and then I started writing about the Omicron um, in the lockdown that happened in you know in just after Omicron was discovered the lockdown in Ontario um, you know I felt a great sense of betrayal um, as far as our public health officials were concerned because all you had to do was get vaccinated and you'd go back to life as normal but yet you know we were once again in a lockdown and schools were being closed and uh, and they were not being very upfront about uh about about uh you know not being very honest about what was happening with the healthcare system you know we were just again once again uh forced to just trust the experts trust the experts trust the doctors in the hospitals and so on, and I was just very tired of it, and uh, I started uh, poking some holes in 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 that in that narrative in, uh, through my columns in the National Post, looking at some data about hospital capacity, and uh, in, in why does an entire province have to shut down because four hospitals in Toronto are facing a crisis? You know, I just don't get it. Mm -hmm. uh, and um and and I started asking questions, and that's when some of some 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 of the legacy media journalists. Uh, started to take note of what I was saying and um, and really came after me viciously uh, saying that I was anti-science and denial and this and that. Um, and, uh, and, and I started to get some pushback from them, but it was all, no one was actually engaging with the argument. No one was actually engaging with the idea, the questions that I was asking. It was just, just, um, ad hominems. And, um, and, 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 um, um, that's when I really started, I think people started noticing uh, me, and this was before the 
protests. And of course, the protests happened in January 2022. And then, you know, that's when, you know, I, I, um, I, I was started poking holes in that narrative and uh, all of my invites to the CBC just disappeared overnight. <laughs> Interesting. I like that. I love the saying it. And I think it applies to what you're talking about is, uh, you know, you know, you're over the target when you start taking flack. So uh, yeah. it sounds like you were. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, and uh, so the the last thing I'm going to ask you to tell us about you know, without stealing your own thunder, without giving too much away, you're you're planning a talk for us at the Free Speech and Medicine Conference at the end of October, and um, has to do with some stuff you're working on now. As I gather, maybe you can just briefly give us a, a thumbnail of what you're going to. Well, I'm hoping to talk about um, um, actually censorship of uh, doctors. Um, and I feel like there's something underway right now um, 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 in your you know, probably more familiar with it than I am, but I'm hoping that this the story that I've been working on is out next week. But uh, the premise basically is about how a certain kind of medical um, information, a certain kind of narrative about what uh, what kind of medical information is credible is is you know is is is, is you know there's an attempt to fo form that there's an attempt to create that narrative uh, especially uh, you know you know with on on um, social media and uh, online streaming platforms like YouTube and that's uh, one of the things that I'm focused on and um, yeah I, I can't say more about it because the story is not out yet but um, but that's um, something that I'm hoping to talk about uh, at the conference. All right. Well, well, that sounds great. Um, I think I, I think that interview gives us a really good sense of you and your your journey and how you got here and some of the things you've really delved into. Um, I, I I do hope at the conference um, we're fairly tightly scheduled, but I would love to hear more about your experience with COVID and the uh, assisted suicide and whatnot. Um, so I really, I really look forward to meeting you in person. I look forward to hearing you uh, speak about the the subject which you alluded to there. And yeah. uh, I, by the time this interview gets posted, I think your latest work will will be out. From the sound you're getting close. I'm really hoping to, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fingers crossed, uh, but, uh, you know, it's really up to my editor at this point, but uh, yeah. All right. Well, and, and so uh, people can look in the show notes to this interview yeah. and I think your you, the link to your latest work will be there. So again, you mentioned it, but if you want to follow you, you, you have a podcast with True North, you write for the free press. Exactly. And I'm also on Twitter. Uh, if people want to get in touch with me there uh, and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm um, and occasionally you'll see some of my columns in the national post. So, yeah. Lovely. Well, I, I want to thank you. I know many people I've talked to were very, very um, appreciative just of getting some real information out about uh, the trucker convoy to kind of counter the, the, what I would consider misinformation that was coming through the mainstream press. So we appreciate what you do. We appreciate you taking flack on behalf of all of us and, and <laughs> thanks. And I look forward to, to, well, I shouldn't say meeting in person because we have met in person once yes, before, but yeah. meeting you again in person and listening to you speak. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was a real pleasure to be here and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the conference. I think it's interesting for people to get a sense of your background and yeah. how you came into journalism. I didn't know the the story that you were accidentally a journalist. And oh, 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It explains a lot about why you're not a why you're not so prone to hive mind because I think journalists kind of I don't know you have to have a certain mindset to go into journalism school in the first place and if you don't have it fully before you go in I think it's beat into you before you come out that's my impression these days I I don't do well when it comes to stuff like indoctrination you know I actually um I so I would never have um you know done well in that kind of environment you know I I I just like I I don't you know I can't be put in a box in in Mm -hmm. you know and that's one of the defining things I think about about I mean one of the things about me if I had to describe myself you I I really just um, you know I, I ask a lot of questions and um, you know there are certain things that I believe in and uh, but you know I'm always changing my mind mm-hmm. so you know and I think um, that's that's how it should be I think you know you know what it's a sign uh, it's a, actually a, some people consider changing one's mind is a sign of weakness and especially with uh, politicians you know if politicians ever say one thing and then say another people uh, another thing later people go after them for waffling and being inconsistent but to me it's like as long as people are careful not to be overly sure to say this is why I believe what I believe yeah and here's what I think then later to say well I found this out or I thought about this and yeah. now I think differently I, I think that's just as I say, it's a sign of an active and open mind, not a sign of weakness, as I see. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I appreciate that, and I try to be that as much as possible. Although you know, I do have my biases, and I do succumb to the hive mind, uh, you know, when it comes to certain issues. But um, at least I think, uh, you know, I I'm aware that I that that kind of thing would happen. Well, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I had to talk with like I was really terrified the first month or two of COVID because you're getting all this news and you couldn't help but be terrified if you're a normal human. The way I put it to somebody was human beings, you know, we're partly independent thinkers, but we're we are herd animals. And if yeah. you're like walking down the street in Ottawa and all of a sudden everybody st- starts running towards you in the opposite direction with a fearful look and screaming and running yeah, past yeah, you. Yeah. Like it's, it's quite normal and what we'd call adaptive to turn and run with them because presumably there's like a tsunami or a crazy shooter or something because otherwise everybody wouldn't be running. So like the hive mind thing, it's actually normal and natural and it is our first instinct for good reason. It's not, it's not a stupid way to be. Uh, I think the problem is that, you know, with the new world of interconnectedness and, uh, media control and whatnot, the, the hive mind can be m- used for manipulation on, on the mm. population, which yeah. feels like, feels like what's happened in the last yeah. year. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Listen, I should let you go. I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, awesome. my pleasure. My pleasure, Chris. And I uh, look forward to seeing you again. Yes. Yes. Right <laughs> okay. On. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.